0: On Tuesday, we will be part of a big red wave that says enough is enough.
1: <laughs> Hi, Lauren Boebert. How's that red wave working out for you?
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling something right. You nowadays. I am so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle with you Yep From
1: Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles This is the Bradcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN And Eureka's KGOE In Oregon on the Central Coast On KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO And Eugene's KEPW Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADRN. Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com Radio Free Brooklyn Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk and all your favorite podcast sites Blanketing, Planet Earth Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman your friendly investigative blogger, journalist troublemaker, muckraker and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. i uh, got a couple of, uh, couple of items of business here before we get to my guest today. You know, we complain about the corporate mainstream media just a fair amount on this program.
2: <laughs> just a little. Hi, Des. Hi.
1: But every now and again, uh, even I need a reminder of how insidiously corrupt Fox News is. Compared to the non-wingnut corporate outfits who we spend most of our time complaining about. (laughs) I I received yet another reminder of that uh, today, courtesy of my iPhone. Upon waking up, as you may have heard, the inflation report for October was released by the federal government on Thursday, and it was much better than analysts had predicted that it would be. We really need some better analysts in this country. I'm just saying. Anyway. <laughs> Their predictions uh,
2: are kind of off these days. Yeah, they
1: are, aren't they? Anyway, the uh, this news sent the Dow and the rest of the market just skyrocketing. The Dow ended up closing more than 1,200 points up. Or uh, 3.7% higher on Thursday, but I have a lot of news apps installed on my phone which send me various news alerts. They all covered the inflation report from the government on Thursday morning, so I want to give you an idea how they did so. AP News said, Uh, These are the alerts that pop to the front of your phone if you have the AP app installed on your phone. Breaking news. U.S. consumer inflation last month was 7.7 percent from a year earlier, the lowest gain since January and less than economists had expected. Reuters said U.S. consumer prices rose less than expected in October, indicating inflation may have peaked. New York Times breaking news, U.S. consumer prices rose 7.7 percent in the year through October, slower than expected, and a sign that inflation is beginning to moderate. All of these sound like very good, encouraging news items. Yeah. NBC News, U.S. inflation was at 7.7 percent in October in a promising sign that interest rate hikes are working. Washington Post. Prices were 7.7% higher in October compared with the year before as inflation defies Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes. And finally, there's Fox News. Same story moments later. Breaking news. Inflation holds grip on U.S. economy in October as prices remain stubbornly high. Compare and contrast. Right. And this stuff, you know, most uh, folks do not actually click on on those alerts that come into your phone. They, you know, just read the headlines. The same thing happens on social media. But this is even worse, these alerts, because it gets pushed to the front page of your phone, right to the, you know, into the center of your brain. It
2: grabs your attention. Yes.
1: Yeah. And and and, uh, so like a
2: lie injected straight into your brain. It
1: really is. And if you've only got Fox News as the only news app installed on your phone, as many right wingers do, since they shun real news sources, well, you know, that's all you're going to end up seeing or knowing. And you wonder why these Fox News folks are just in this completely different reality. Well, that's just one reason. No wonder they think that everything is a disaster. That is very much by insidious design of, we call them Fox News, but they are not a news organization. They are a Republican propaganda organization, period, end of story. And yes, it messes with their heads. Anyway, just wanted to offer that you know little reminder of just some of what we try, at least, to counter on this program. Beyond that, let's kick off with some listener mail today before we get to my guest in response to our program following Election Day uh, this past week as the uh, so-called red wave that was promised by Republicans and the media, and not just Fox News, but the entirety, really, of the corporate media. That, that red wave, it never arrived, as they said it would, as, and as we had been trying to advise you since the beginning of the year, to ignore when you heard that stuff, the conventional wisdom that there would be a red wave this year. Anyway, from Mark R., subject, good and bad news wave. He writes, I'm glad that you and Michael Moore we correct about the anemic quality of the red wave, but the results are mixed, even if the Democrats managed to control either or both houses in D.C. And the idea that half of the voters of Georgia thought Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker has thoughts is embarrassing. Sad that the voters of Wisconsin would rather support an insurrectionist that refers to Republican Senator Ron Johnson who said ivermectin and mouthwash cure COVID disease instead of a black guy. That would be a reference to uh, Ron Johnson's Democratic challenger, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who Johnson reportedly narrowly defeated in the Badger State by just one point uh, or about 26,000 votes out of about 2.6 million cast. So uh, thank you for the note, Mark. Uh, I, and I just want to be clear, I tried to make clear on our Wednesday program that while the so-called red wave never developed, as Republicans and their friends in the media all insisted that it would, that, uh, yeah, as you said, the results are mixed in that Republicans are still likely to take a slim majority in the U.S. House and It's possible they could even win a Senate majority still, though Democrats currently have a slight edge there as ballots are still being tabulated and the winners of uh, three key Senate races are still unknown. As we go to air today, we are still no closer to knowing which party will ultimately uh, win majority control of either the House or the Senate after Tuesday's critical but absolutely not red wave midterm election, uh, Democrats are still slightly favored to hold the Senate majority with anywhere from a 50-50 Senate where Vice President Kamala Harris again serves as the tiebreaker vote in favor of Democrats uh, to a uh, potential 51-49 majority for Democrats if they win all three of the currently outstanding seats in Georgia, Arizona and Nevada. Where they hold those seats, they're uh, Democratic incumbents in all of them. Those are the ones that have yet to be called. If everything breaks in the Republicans' direction, on the other hand, of course, they could end up with as much as a fifty-two forty-eight majority in the upper chamber. I know Desi doesn't like to uh, hear me say that, but well, yes, it that is could happen. What
2: could happen? So be ready.
1: So, uh, just to give you a quick update of where we are. On those Senate seats at this hour, uh, incumbent Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, he's currently up by about five points as we go to air over Trump-endorsed Blake Masters, uh, or about 100,000 votes. But only 70 percent has been tallied in Arizona in that race at this time, and there are said to be hundreds of thousands of still uncounted votes, largely in Democratic-leaning Maricopa County. That's Phoenix. So the race is still considered a toss up at this hour. Democrats have been stressing they think they will win it. We'll see. There is, uh, you know, they do have a five point lead, so that's a better place to be than where Blake Masters is at this point. There is less certainty, by the way, in the governor's race in Arizona, where Democratic Secretary of State Katie Hobbs is in the lead, but it's a very thin lead over GOP Trumper and election liar Carrie Lake. Hobbs leads by less than a point, so that one in particular could be very close and is more likely to flip to the Republican than in the Senate race, at least as of now. In Nevada, the still uncalled Senate race uh, has Republican Adam Laxalt up over incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto by a little less than two points with Eighty three percent tallied in Nevada, though Democrats in the state there as well seem to feel that the bulk of the uncounted votes are mail-in votes and they are in Democratic strongholds of uh, Clark and Washoe counties. That is Las Vegas and Reno. Both of those counties, uh, they're the largest in the state and they favor Democrats, though that one is going to be very close as well. So I'm trying to be clear that while a red wave was avoided, uh, we could still see a scenario, it might, you know, could be a, a Pyrrhic victory if the uh, Republicans end up controlling both houses of Congress, which is still possible. Now, Democrats in Nevada seem confident that with Clark County votes, uh, once those are tallied, that Cortez Mastro will regain the lead over Laxalt. Uh, they seem to be less confident that the uh, Democratic governor currently, Steve Sisolak, will be able to overcome the four-point lead that is held by the Trump-endorsed Vegas area sheriff, Joe Lombardo, who is challenging him for governor. But all of that could be close too. And then, of course, there's Georgia, where, as you know, uh, incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock appears to have very narrowly won Tuesday's race against Trump-backed former football player Herschel Walker. Uh, But Warnock won that by less than a point, which would normally be fine. But in Georgia, you got to win 50% plus one in order to avoid a runoff election, and Warnock came in just under 50%. So, that runoff in Georgia is now officially scheduled for December 6th. Please note, uh, particularly if you're in Georgia, uh, the state's new voter suppression law, SB 202, has compressed the time between the original election and its runoff election, along with the time that is allowed for requesting a vote by mail absentee ballot. And of course, the time to you know both get it and return it—all of that was no mistake. That's just one of the reasons why we call SB 202 a voter suppression measure. So, if you want to be able to vote in Georgia on verifiable, hand-marked paper ballots in the Peach State Senate runoff yet again, which is yet again likely to determine majority control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, and you want to avoid being forced to cast an unverifiable touchscreen vote at Georgia's polling places, well, now is the time to request that absentee ballot. You don't have as much time as you used to. It's a month earlier than it used to be following the uh, regular election. And I know there are folks who actually never got their absentee ballot for the original election on November 8 in key counties around Atlanta like Cobb and Fulton and DeKalb. Had they got those ballots, uh, who knows? Uh, Warnock might have gotten over 50 percent. So in any event, do not wait. Request that ballot right now if you're in Georgia, especially if you're out of state and you can't vote in person no matter what on December 6th.
2: Exactly. And if you know anybody in Georgia, let them know the timescale is much shorter now than they used to be than they're used to. Now,
1: if Republicans end up winning, they would have to win two or more of those three currently democratically held Senate seats. Uh, But if they do, well, they would win the majority in the U.S. Senate, which would then allow Mitch McConnell to take majority control again. He would prevent any federal judges for the next two years, including any Supreme Court vacancies that might happen. From being filled over those two years, Uh, he would also block any and all executive appointments by, uh, by Joe Biden. So Democrats need to hold at least two of those three to retain their majority in the upper chamber. As noted, no one is out of the woods yet. As to the U.S. House, uh, where unlike the Senate, the odds currently actually favor the Republicans to win a majority, if narrowly. Well, it's also where the horrible Congresswoman and gun-toting loon Congresswoman Lauren Boebert of Colorado's 3rd Congressional District is in a razor-thin contest, at this hour anyway, with Democratic challenger Adam Frisch. Now, this race, uh, you heard Bobert at the top talking about, oh, it's going to be a red wave that stuns everyone. You know what stunned everyone? The fact that Lauren Boebert may be unseated. No one saw this coming, not even me. New York Times had this in their uh, absolutely certain to win <laughs> column. Anyway, uh, everyone is stunned by how close this race actually is. And after leading by about 36 votes overnight... Adam Frisch was leading by about 36 votes. Boebert has now regained the lead for the moment by less than 1,000 votes out of more than 3,000 votes cast. This in a district, Colorado's third, that covers more than half of the state geographically. It's the entire western slope of the Rockies. It encompasses 29 counties, believe it or not, which... I didn't believe it Uh, when I uh, saw that today. I checked with a state election official who said, yep, it does. Uh, In fact, 98 percent of the vote in this race has now been tallied. But Democrats in Colorado suggest that here, too, that the vote that is still out is in uh, comes in from enough Uh, you know, liberal enclaves like Aspen, which is part of this district, that uh, will end up favoring them. We will see if they're right. Either way, I think it's almost certain that this particular race will go to an automatic recount in Colorado under state law where uh, recounts are automatic if there's a margin of less than 0.5%. That Again, according to the state election official I've been speaking with about all of this in the state, but that is just one of more than 30 races in the U.S. House, which remain uncalled still as of right now. And that's where I want to bring in my guest today. It's going to be very close, it seems, in the U.S. House, no matter what. Much closer than certainly Republicans had expected, and it could all come down To the number of new seats that Republicans, with the help of high courts, including the U.S. Supreme Court, arguably stole for themselves through partisan and racial gerrymandering. David Daly, who wrote the book on all of that, joins us next. I'm Brad Friedman and you are listening to The Bradcast. (laughs) Just a red trickle at this point. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. As we go to air now, two days after this year's midterm election day, as votes are still being tallied across the country, particularly in states in the West where we take a little bit longer to make sure we get it right rather than simply get it fast. It remains unclear which party is going to ultimately control the U.S. House, though odds do favor a Republican majority, if a very thin one, at this hour in any event. Their promised red wave never came, as you know, but their pickups are currently believed likely in the House to still be enough to take over control Uh, majority control in the House. And to that end, well, a win is a win. Our system gives full control to either chamber of Congress based essentially on whoever has the larger number of seats. And while there was a day when members of each party might work with each other, others across the aisle to, you know, make those partisan majorities a little bit fuzzier, Alas, uh, to a large extent, those days are completely gone. So even a one seat majority in the House for Republicans would likely prevent any bill supported by Democrats from being adopted in the lower chamber for the next two years. Republicans and yes, therefore, the media had been suggesting that, uh, you know, there could be a, a net gain of as many as 50 or more seats over Democrats in the U.S. House this year. But at this point, they will be lucky if they end up with more than the barest of single digit majorities in the House. That according to the current unverified and uh, many still untallied numbers, which if everything broke Democrats way, well, that could even result in Democrats holding as many as 220 seats in the House, where 218 seats is a majority. Now, as we go to air, even as pretty much all contests from Tuesday are still wholly unverified and uncertified, much less recounted, as could be the case in the closest of races, Republicans have gained or are leading in about 30 House contests, if we give them the benefit of the doubt. But Democrats have also picked up or are leading in what could result in some 15 flips from red to blue. Uh, For their part. So that means in what, you know, some consider to be among the most likely scenarios, Republicans would see a net gain of about 15 or 16 seats overall. And if my back of the envelope math is anywhere near correct, well, with Democrats currently holding about a five seat majority in the House right now, generally speaking, Republicans are most likely to see a majority within A margin over Democrats of about 10 seats or less when all is said and done and the new Congress ultimately convenes in January. But as noted, there is still a slim chance that the margin could favor Democrats. If it does, well, maybe it would be by two seats Just two. But again, a win is a win. In either event, as we have long warned, this year's elections for control of the U.S. House would be very close. And that is clearly turning out to be the case. At the same time, as we've reported over the past year or so, state and federal courts, in particular the corrupt pact, and stolen Republican U.S. Supreme Court majority have put a pretty heavy thumb on the scale in several states in favor of Republicans when it comes to the redistricting that took place in all 50 states following the 2020 census. One example is Alabama, where in February... This of this year, the Supreme Court put a lower federal court ruling on hold after that lower federal court had ordered a new black majority district to be drawn up in the state after it had found that Alabama Republicans in their newly drawn maps included just one single black majority district out of seven in the state, despite the fact that more than a quarter of the state's population is black. With plenty of time before the primaries uh, had begun to, you know, they had time back in February to redraw the state maps, to make them fairer to black voters, to add that uh, second uh, uh, black majority district, to make them fairer and in line with the law, with Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which the federal court had found that the state's Republican-controlled legislature had violated in drawing the map the way they did, well, with all of that, the U.S. Supreme Court decided to come in and bigfoot the lower court's order and put it on hold for this year, allowing what for what would likely be an extra Republican seat in the state this year. Now, we saw similar efforts by the Supreme Court and other state high courts in Louisiana, Texas, Florida, Ohio, Wisconsin, and even in New York, where that state Supreme Court rolled back what they saw as an unlawful gerrymandering attempt by Democrats. The Alabama case, uh, which is called Merrill uh, v. Milligan, was recently heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. And there is at least one more critical gerrymandering related case called Moore v. Harper, which has even larger implications for democracy, uh, coming up before the court this term, with both of those cases to be decided next year before the 2024 election. But with what is likely to be a razor-thin majority, no matter what, for the next two years, for whichever party ultimately wins a controlling majority in the House, how much of that was ultimately determined by gerrymandering and or the high court's R- you know, rulings which blocked lower court rulings that states were using unlawfully or unconstitutionally drawn U.S. House maps. Joining us now is the man who literally wrote the book on gerrymandering and U.S. House maps, who we have turned to over the years to help us make sense of such questions. It's our old friend David Daly. He is senior fellow at fairvote.org and author of the book on the GOP's 2010 takeover of state houses, which was specifically designed to gerrymander maps to assure that even when more voters voted for Democrats. Republicans would still win majorities. He could have called that book Heads We Win, Tails You Lose, but instead he chose a name for the book that we cannot pronounce on FCC radio, so we just call it Rat Flipped, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. Dave Daly's work has also appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Washington Post, and indeed today at The Nation And by way of full disclosure, he used to be my editor as editor-in-chief over at Salon.com back in the old days. Oh, Mr. Daly, welcome back to the broadcast, sir.
0: Oh, it's great to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right. So the uh, red wave never uh, seems to have come, Dave, for the Republicans this year. So that would seem to mean that at least some of their eventual pickups in the House could turn out to come from gerrymandering state maps uh, over the past year. While the final numbers are uh, vague right now, we're likely looking at single digit majority control, no matter which party ends up winning it. Raising the question, was the GOP's partisan and racial gerrymandering ultimately enough to have handed majority control to the Republican Party this year in the U.S. House?
0: Yes, I think that's absolutely correct. This was very close to a 50 50 national year Mm -hmm. and by taking the house republicans um really won the redistricting wars their partisan and racial gerrymanders won them more than enough seats to make up the difference Mm. between the two parties in what was essentially a jump ball election so By gerrymandering maps in all of the states Mm -hmm. you mentioned Mm -hmm. florida ohio texas georgia by having courts put the thumb on the scales for them Mm -hmm. in alabama wisconsin louisiana elsewhere and by having blue state courts not allow democrats to engage in the same kind of anti-small d democratic behavior Mm -hmm. republicans were able to take enough seats to uh, take the House.
1: Is is it fair to say, then, that beyond just the gerrymandering, which we expect from Republicans and to some extent Democrats, I'll get to that in a moment, but is it fair to say that, uh, that there were enough decisions by the courts, the high courts, particularly the U.S. Supreme Court, that, well, essentially... Uh, you know, by putting their thumb on the scale, the U.S. Supreme Court is handing the Republicans a majority in the U.S. House for the next two years, blocking the Biden and Democratic agenda for those years along with it.
0: I think you can quite reasonably say that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This court first in 2013 mm-hmm. in the Shelby County versus Holder case that effectively eviscerated pre-clearance mm-hmm. from the Voting Rights Act, mm-hmm. that had required states with a history of the worst racial prejudice in their voting practices to pre-clear any changes, mm-hmm. including maps, before the Department of Justice. This year, Texas, Florida, Arizona, Alabama, all of those states were free from pre-clearance. They did not have to do it, so their maps effectively were... Uh, were allowed to be enacted without having to have anybody say, those
1: are okay. And just to be clear, just to be be clear to to listeners, when you talk about pre-clearance, this was in the old days before it was gutted by the U.S. Supreme Court in these uh, states and, and counties with a history of racial discrimination. If they wanted to make changes to election laws and maps and so forth, they had to approve them first with the federal government or federal court before they could be put in place. That was what was killed uh, back in 2013 by the U.S. Supreme Court in the Shelby case. Uh, so now they can put these uh, racially discriminatory uh, maps and laws in place, and it's only after they do their damage, really, that uh, they can be challenged under a different section of the Voting Rights Act.
0: That's completely right, yes. Uh, and then in 2019, mm-hmm. in, in Rucho versus Common Cause, mm-hmm. This court effectively closed the federal courts to partisan gerrymandering claims as a non-justiciable political issue. What that had the effect of doing was giving a green light to every state legislature in the country to say, gerrymander, up to your wildest dreams, we're not going to do anything about it. Mm. That is especially the case in red states, Mm -hmm. where state supreme courts, which effectively became... The only place that could stop a partisan gerrymander after the uh, U.S. Supreme Court said we're not going to do it, Mm -hmm. well, all of those courts in Texas, in Georgia, in in Florida, in Arizona, have already been packed and stacked by Republicans in those states. They are Mm -hmm. effectively already partisan actors in those places. They're not going to do anything about it. So that turbocharged the amount of gerrymandering. We saw this cycle, mm-hmm. and then, as you mentioned in the intro, what this court did on voting rights when Alabama, mm-hmm. which, this is really a textbook, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, that mm-hmm. uh, claim, it was uh, such a textbook claim that two Trump appointees on the lower federal court, on the three-judge panel, yeah. found that the Alabama map violated the Voting Rights Act, yep. when this uh, case got appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Even John Roberts, who, as we know, is not exactly a friend of the Voting Rights Act, said that the lower court had correctly applied existing law, and yet this court, regardless, they stayed the lower court ruling. They put the old map back in place. They effectively handed Republicans an additional seat in Alabama that Democrats, would have won Mm -hmm. they did something similar in louisiana you had georgia after the decision in alabama you had a judge come out and say well we think there's a problem with the maps here but Mm -hmm. based on what the court just did in the alabama case we can't do anything about it once you start adding up all of the seats that republicans claimed either through extreme partisan gerrymandering and what the federal courts and state courts gifted them, Mm -hmm. when you take the four seats in Florida, a couple seats in Ohio, a couple in Texas, in Tennessee, in Wisconsin, when you take the seats that Republicans bulldozed or hijacked from independent commissions in Arizona and Iowa, you're looking at somewhere between 12 and 14 seats, which I think will probably end up being something close to twice what the ultimate majority in the House ends up being.
1: Yep. Now, uh, to be fair, David Daly, uh, we did see uh, redistricting from Democrats in states like Illinois, New Mexico, Nevada, for example, which may have also helped to uh, at least counter some of the GOP gerrymanders. Do you consider what those states did to be extreme partisan gerrymanders in the same way that we saw in so many Republican states? And does it appear to have helped goose Democratic numbers in those states or at least offset some of the partisan and and or racial gerrymanders that were done in Republican states.
0: Yes, I think that gerrymandering is anti-Democratic and cheating no matter which party does it. Mm-hmm. And um, it should be simply against the rules. <laughs> it would be really easy for a party in charge of Congress to pass a law that says this cannot be done, districts cannot be drawn in order to favor or disfavor Either political party, and there's plenty of ways of of checking uh-huh. whether or not that those maps do these days with what? computer technology and the like. So uh-huh. it, it can be done, and American voters who hate party and gerrymandering by wild mm-hmm. majorities mm-hmm. would would get behind something like that altogether. But let's take a look at what Democrats actually did this cycle mm-hmm. and compare it to what Republicans did at uh, this cycle. Democrats absolutely grabbed a couple of seats in Illinois. Uh, they grabbed a seat in New Mexico. They gerrymandered Nevada, but that's not going to change the ultimate partisan balance of that mm-hmm. delegation. They simply uh, shored up some, some Democratic incumbents there. They tried to gerrymander Maryland and had a federal court block that, mm-hmm. uh, and yet, and yet. By the way, when Supreme the federal that.
1: When, when the federal court blocked the Democrats from doing it in Maryland, the Supreme Court did not put that on hold. That one stayed in place. It was only when federal courts blocked it, uh, you know, racial Shocker. gerrymandering elsewhere that the Supreme Court said, no, 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 let's let's slow down yeah. here. We'll we'll hear this case later on. Yeah,
0: it's exactly right. It's exactly right. The partisan. The partisan bias from this court is on display each and every day. They don't even bother to hide it anymore. They have six of them, and the rules are what we say goes.
1: Now, the New York State Supreme Court blocked maps that was uh, that were drawn by the state's Democratic state uh, uh, legislature there, which. Uh, seems to have resulted in a bunch of pickups for Republicans in the Empire State, with the uh, state Supreme Court blocking the, the Democrats' map. I think about uh, four seats have been uh, flipped from uh, blue to red in, uh, in New York. Is that because the state Supreme Court insisted on fair districts there, or because they were putting their uh, thumb on scale for Republicans in the state?
0: Well, I think what the state Supreme Court in New York did was Enforce the state's constitution. Uh, voters in 2014 enacted various redistricting reforms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted a process uh, that involved both, both parties, mm-hmm. um, and they wanted reasonable maps. And what New York the Democrats did, completely understandably, and you and I talked about this a lot over the course of the summer, the New York Democrats looked at what happened at the U.S. Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and they saw that states were now free to go ahead and gerrymander to their hearts content. Mm -hmm. Uh, They looked at what Republicans had done last decade, and were continuing to do this decade, and they said, well, we have to do the same thing, uh, or else we'd be disarming unilaterally. Um, You can debate the morals and ethics of that, Mm -hmm. which we did, but the the politics of it, I think, are pretty clear. But they went so far that the state Supreme Court slapped them down. And the state Supreme Court, I think, properly slapped them down. Mm -hmm. What those uh, Democrats in the state legislature did violate the state constitution. But the court went a step further, right? They t- they actually said, you cannot be trusted to draw these lines. We're going to take the responsibility away from you and hand it to an independent special master. Mm-hmm. And that special master went and, and drew what is a pretty balanced and proportional uh, map. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Democrats thought they might be able to gain seats in New York. They are going to lose them well i think it's really instructive to compare what happened in ohio florida and new york
1: because in those and cases you had a similar case where the state legislature violated the state law violated the state constitution but uh, their uh, state supreme courts particularly in florida unlike what we saw in new york their state supreme court said okay this is fine with us it's all good go Precisely. ahead and break the law
0: Precisely, uh, and so in New York, a Democratic state legislature constrained a a Democratic majority mm-hmm. from enacting a wildly gerrymandered map. Mm-hmm. In Ohio, a bipartisan majority on the state Supreme Court, a Republican chief justice, mm-hmm. attempted not once, not twice, but seven times. Yes, they struck down state legislative and congressional plans in that state as unconstitutional, and lawmakers in Ohio ignored the court, and the election on Tuesday was held on a map that that the the state Supreme Court called unconstitutional. Yep. And then in Florida, Ron DeSantis steamrolls provisions in the state constitution Mm -hmm. that insists that redistricting not favor or disfavor either party, and he pushes through, at the last second, a map that turns the state uh, from 16 Republican states, a 16-9 delegation, to a 20 Republican ha- a delegation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they gained four seats in the state of Florida mm. due to a gerrymander ordered by Ron DeSantis in clear violation of the state constitution, and just like Republicans did a decade ago, when they attempted a similar gerrymander, mm-hmm. they lost in Florida's state Supreme Court, which at the time was not a conservative-dominated uh, court. Mm-hmm. But that took five years. It yeah. took two election cycles. Republicans got two free elections yep. to gerrymander and to take the claims and the spoils of that. Yep. And so this is the strategy, right? Justice moves so slowly if it moves at all, that here we are looking at a majority in Congress that could be determined based on a gerrymander in Florida alone that courts in a couple of years could find to be unconstitutional. We're not going to get the 2022 election back, right? right? This is what Republicans have done, and this is what they keep getting away with.
1: I know and I, and it's particularly maddening you know in Florida the map that Ron DeSantis insisted on was one that even the Republican legislature in Florida wouldn't wouldn't draw they were against it they thought it went too far the Republican majority uh, state legislature DeSantis said do it anyway and that's what we got that's what we've got to deal with and yeah it takes years to work this out uh, you know in, in the best of cases uh, Dave Daly I've got just a minute is there any solution to this madness anywhere on the horizon? Like I say, you know, these these cases may eventually be heard if the state legislatures like in Ohio don't simply ignore the the, the state Supreme Court's. These seats will remain essentially stolen for years at a time. Now, I know that the Democrats, um, the Freedom to Vote Act had included a ban on partisan gerrymanders. But without the 52 seats, the Democrats are hoping to win in the Senate this year uh, that would be needed to reform the filibuster in order to pass that bill with a simple majority vote. To me, it seems like there's little path to uh, passage over the next two years, at least, of anything that can change this. And of course, the Supreme Court seems chomping at the bit to outlaw racial jerry uh, or to allow, I should say, racial gerrymanders, which are currently, in theory, blocked at the uh, uh, federal uh, level by the Voting Rights Act. Am I right on these two scores? And if so, is there any way out of this madness somehow, David Daly?
0: I fear you're right, Brad. I think things are going to get a lot worse before they get any better on these fronts, especially when you look at what happened to state Supreme Courts in North Carolina and Ohio, those brave courts that tried and mm-hmm. tried against, against Republican uh, gerrymanders in those states, and uh, Republicans took firm control with both of those courts. Uh, on Tuesday, and will control them now for the next several years, would not surprise me if uh, both states tried to uh, force through mid-decade redraws now that are even wilder gerrymanders than the maps that currently exist. Uh, I do agree with you as well that I think the Milligan case from Alabama is going to hollow out what little remains of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Mm. I think there is, I think, a growing understanding amongst a a lot of political scientists and and folks who work on election reform that single-member winner-take-all is a really bad way to elect a a U.S. House, especially given the kind of computer technology and the cracking and packing that Map making software allows these days the polarization in the country, and that until we move to a system that is a little more proportional, mm-hmm. uh, that allows for a little more give and take, that we are going to be stuck on these frozen, gerrymandered maps and um, pushing ever closer, I fear, to entrenched one party minority rule.
1: One of these days, David Daly, I'm going to find something, uh, some good news to have you on to talk about, but uh, usually when Mr. Daly is here, things aren't that great. Uh, I'm sorry to say... I bring the black clouds. You do, although, uh, boy, these days a lot of guests bring such clouds to this program, uh, even in a week that uh, could have been much, much worse for democracy. So we got to take our victories where we can find them. David Daly is Senior Fellow at FairVote.org and you can find him on the Twitters at DaveDaily3, that's the number three. He is the author of what we call Rat Flipped. You'll be able to find it at the bookstore, Rat Flipped, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy, and more recently, and perhaps more encouragingly, unrigged, how Americans are battling back to save democracy. Dave Daly, always great speaking with you, my friend. Look forward to it next time.
0: Thanks, Brad. Anytime.
1: Thank you, sir. David's article over at The Nation today is headlined the GOP's bid to claim a rigged House majority, how voters repudiated the GOP congressional agenda, but court sanctioned gerrymanders made sure it didn't matter. We will, of course, link to that piece over at The Nation when we post the show at bradblog.com tonight.
2: I just want to add, I once heard someone call gerrymandering Republican booster seats.
1: <laughs> I get it. Yeah, kind of. Apparently that's what they need yeah, in order to win. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if in fact once again more uh, votes were cast for Democrats in the house than Republicans and once you
2: factor yep. in the voter suppression and the gerrymandering it'll be an interesting calculation
1: yep uh, they will probably you know win a majority even with fewer votes that's how this is designed to work all right from a uh, lack of red wave to a Tsunami of green news. (laughs) That is next on the Bradcast with Desi Doyne and her Green News report. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. A lot of news moving fast today, Uh, uh, several updates to several of the stories we covered (laughs) on the Green News Report, so uh, we will get to that after. Let's jump right in to our latest Green
0: News Report. Definitely not a Republican wave, that's for darn sure.
2: Missing red wave in 2022 midterms is good news for the climate. Skyrocketing levels of climate warming methane, plus... Don't
1: be fooled. Prop 30 is being advertised as a climate initiative.
2: Mixed results for environmental ballot propositions.
1: All of those results and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Newsom's ultimate victory is likely to be a landslide, which, since this is California, will be followed by an earthquake and a wildfire. (laughs) True story, this is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm happy to hear that the midterm elections were not a disaster for the climate. Mm Mm-hmm. But speaking of disasters, Florida is once again in trouble.
2: Yes, a rare November hurricane. Hurricane Nicole made landfall on Florida's East Coast overnight Wednesday as a Category 1. Fueled by record warm ocean waters, the sprawling, slow-moving storm has brought significant rain and flooding to storm-weary parts of Florida, still damaged by deadly Hurricane Ian a month ago. President Biden has approved emergency disaster relief for the state. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration warns in a new report this week that levels of powerful climate warming methane continue to rocket up at record rates with concentrations now more than 160 percent of pre-industrial levels. A new report by the International Energy Agency reveals that globally, methane pollution from the fossil fuel industry is 70 percent higher than countries are officially reporting. The Global Methane Tracker also found that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is seriously underestimating the oil and gas industry's methane pollution by as much as 70 percent.
1: What's worse, carbon or methane?
2: They're both really bad, but methane is a more powerful climate warming pollutant than carbon dioxide over a shorter time period, like 20 years.
1: Whereas carbon stays in the atmosphere for for like
2: hundreds of years. Got it. Now on to the critical 2022 midterm elections. As we go to air, we still don't know who will control the U.S. House or Senate next year, with several close races not yet decided. But the corporate media's conventional wisdom of a Republican red wave did not materialize. Shocking. Some notable climate-related results. Republican climate science denier Senator Ron Johnson won re-election in Wisconsin. Pennsylvania's Democratic Lieutenant governor and climate hawk John Fetterman soundly defeated Trump-endorsed TV doctor Mehmet Oz. In the U.S. House, despite heavy gerrymandering in Republican-controlled states, voters in Ohio flipped a seat held by longtime Republican climate science denier Representative Steve Shabbat, giving it to Democrat Greg Landsman. North Carolina rejected a science-denying Republican to elect Democratic climate hawk Wiley Nickel.
1: North Carolina
2: did that? Yep. And in Illinois, Democrat Eric Sorensen will be the first meteorologist in Congress in 50 years. Really? Climate hawks also won top state offices in major wins for climate and clean energy. Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey, who is suing big oil to pay for climate damages, was elected Massachusetts' first female governor. So I presume that... Whoever the new AG is will continue that lawsuit. Presumably, yes. Maryland elected climate hawk Wes Moore as its first black governor, defeating Republican climate denier Dan Cox, who was labeled one of the worst environmental candidates in the nation Mm. by the League of Conservation Voters. And he lost. He lost big time. In remarks on Wednesday, President Biden thanked young voters for tipping the scales with record turnout across the country in state and federal races. And he warned Republicans.
1: I'm not going to walk away from the historic commitments we just made to take on the climate crisis. They're not compromisable issues to me. And I won't let it happen.
2: Nice. Climate advocacy groups heralded the enormous organizing effort to mobilize young voters. Nonprofit climate group Evergreen Action said that actually delivering on bold, concrete climate investments like the Inflation Reduction Act are an electoral winner. Quote, just months after passing historic climate legislation, Democrats across the country have defied historic trends and achieved one of the best midterms for a sitting president's party in recent memory. And finally, results from statewide climate and environment ballot initiatives were mixed. Voters in California appear to have rejected a proposition that would have raised taxes on millionaires to fund the transition to electric vehicles after Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom labeled it a Trojan horse giveaway to a rideshare company. Florida voters rejected a tax break for property owners that harden their properties against flooding and rising sea levels. However, New Yorkers Approved a four billion dollar state bond measure to upgrade the state's infrastructure against climate impacts and rising seas.
1: Nice. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyen.
1: And this has been your Green News Report. hope we'll be safe and sound Uh, very quickly as promised a couple of updates here first on hurricane nicole i think did that come ashore as a hurricane
2: yes it did yeah and it caused quite a bit of damage. It's still causing quite a bit of damage. It's going to bring lots of rain as it moves up the eastern seaboard. Uh, there was a dam that was breached in Port Orange, mm-hmm. Brevard, Volusia, Flagler, and St. John's counties had already seen lots of beach erosion from Hurricane Ian. They're seeing even more from Nicole, and it's really bad in Volusia. They are currently 19 hotels or condo buildings and 40 homes are sustaining severe damage on the beachfront. Some have actually collapsed into the ocean. Mm, And uh, four people have died already. Uh, Two believed in a car accident related to the storm and two others who were electrocuted. We checked in,
1: uh, speaking of Nicole, we checked in with our friend Nicole Sandler, who uh, lives on the east coast of Florida. She's doing okay?
2: Yes, she's doing great.
1: Okay, great. So So
2: there you go. So
1: I, uh, because I think it hit actually north of where she was. Yeah, she was not
2: in in the high impact area. Correct.
1: All right. And the other, uh, since you covered a whole bunch of uh, uh,
2: races that,
1: elections that had something to do with the environment. Yes. Ryan Zinke, the former interior secretary under Donald Trump the wildly corrupt former interior secretary under Donald Trump he was running for office in Montana's first congressional district against Monica Trannel or Trannel it looks like looked for a while like she might actually win that race in Montana but it is not to be?
2: No, it is not to be. Ryan Zinke has uh, has been projected to win the race by AP, and it's a new House, dris- house district. Mm-hmm. Speaking of gerrymandering, yes. um, that new House district made it possible for him to get back into the House. He was in the House back in 2015 before he was tapped to be Donald Trump's Interior Secretary, where he resigned after less than two years at the agency because of numerous ethics investigations, including two in which federal officials concluded. That he lied to them But he wants to get back On that lobbyist gravy train so. But
1: yeah No problem Apparently there is No penalty For telling lies As a Republican Elected official In fact I guess you get rewarded Yep Unbelievable. Anyway, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to my guest today, David Daly of FairVote.org and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com. It's free for everyone. No paywall. Thanks to those of you kind enough to hit the donate button at Bradblog.com or just go straight to Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. Always good to hear from you. I am Cast at bradblog.com. And I am on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.